This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I am Zach Heilprin. That is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers getting ready for a trip to Champaign to face Brett Bielema and the Illini. Going to get to plenty of what we heard from Braden Locke and some other players. And uh, obviously... Luke Fickle on Monday. We will be back out tomorrow night, Thursday night, as usual, out at Monks for Temple and Heilprin. Stop by 6 to 7 and uh, watch some football, get some good food, get some good drinks. Certainly would love to see you guys out there. Uh, Also, uh, Jesse, big week for home field as well as they're going to be releasing these bomber jackets. Uh, I have not seen the Wisconsin one yet, but it's coming out here this week. Well, I should say they're they're Midwest. No, it's... uh, the Heartland series. Now they haven't officially said who's in the Heartland series, but I know that Wisconsin's in it. So yeah, that's going to be coming out. The bomber jackets are ridiculous. You can get uh 15% off your first order at home field with the uh, promo code camp 23. I don't know. Have you seen any these bomber jackets? I have. I'm just going to tell you, Zach, these bomber jackets are straight fire. Uh, <laughs> I don't wear Wisconsin stuff because I cover the team, but that jacket is worth rocking. Yeah, so certainly make sure to check it out. You can find the link to the Wisconsin collection itself up on my uh, Twitter account and or X account and the, the promo codes there as well as if uh, if you're looking for it. So let's get into this. Uh, Braden Locke, we got to chat with him for the first time since he was named the starter quarter, starting quarterback because of Tanner Mordecai's injury. And I was wondering maybe what kind of vibe you got for him. He is a a very good interview. I think he's a good, you know, he's obviously a good speaker, a very smart kid. What kind of vibe did you get from him leading into uh, what will be his first start since high school on Saturday down in Champaign? Frankly, it's the kind of vibe I got from him any other time we had an opportunity to talk to him. He doesn't seem any different to me, which I would imagine if you're a fan, that that's got to be a good thing because He's been preparing for this. I actually remember the, the last time we we talked to him was the quarterback day in preseason practice. So it was the middle of August. And I actually asked him a question then about what this experience was like for him, knowing that he had established himself as the number two going into the season behind a sixth year senior. And so that means in all likelihood, if things progress the way they seem to be progressing, you are potentially the quarterback of the future. And yet at the same time, you are the backup now. And he talked about how he practices every day, like he's the starter. And he wants to make sure that being one play away, you don't want to go in and do a bad job. And it's almost sort of prophetic because that's exactly the spot he finds himself in now of he was one play away. Now he is the starter. I think he's been preparing for this moment, even though he hasn't been the starter. I know that's kind of a a cliched thing that we talk about in, in sports in general, act like you're the starter, even though you're not, but his ability to soak up the playbook and understand what Phil Longo wants, even when he wasn't the guy, I think should help him in this role. And I know he wasn't great <laughs> against Iowa, but I think also coming into the week, knowing that you're the starter is just so much different from all of a sudden they throw you in there on a third down play in the middle of a game against one of the best defenses in the in the league. Yeah, it's obviously not ideal, but he knows what he's going into now, right? And right. Do, he said that his greatest strength is his mind and knowing where the ball needs to go. Do you agree with that? I do. Ever since he got here, what's the the first thing you generally hear about 
with in regards to Braden is the football IQ and the understanding. We heard it from Phil Longo. We've heard it from teammates. I think Kate Yacomelli said said back in the spring that Locke was a quote unquote genius just because of how much he understands. And that has served him very well to this point. Now, just because you know where things need to go and what you need to do, that doesn't mean you're going to execute it. And I think that's where he's got to prove that he can do it because I don't think they're going to stop throwing the ball because they don't have Tanner Mordecai in there. They're going to do a lot of the same things they've done before. So he needs to execute at a high level. If there are any kind of changes to this offense, what would you envision? I mean, we obviously, we, we, we saw Tanner Mordecai use his legs. Braden isn't exactly as mobile as him. I mean, he can, he can take off, but that's not really his game. So I think they've, obviously the easy thing to say here is they have to put Braden in a position to succeed, but especially coming on the heels of the Iowa game, Wisconsin went two for 17 on third down in that game. And I went back and looked at all the game logs since 2009, 15 failed third downs is the most they've had in a game during that stretch. And there's only two other games where they had a worse percentage. Both of them came in 2021. I believe Wisconsin was one for 14 on third down against Notre Dame. And then one for 11 later in the season against Purdue. So point being that was about as bad as they've been on third downs. Why were they so bad? Well, in part, the average third down to go yardage for them was, 6.7 yards and I believe at least five of the third downs were third and 10 or more now obviously not all those came with Braden in the game because Tanner started and played the bulk of the first half but when I say they have to put him in a position to succeed you've got to have manageable down and distance situations and in terms of what changes yeah he's not the mobile quarterback that Tanner is I think Luke Fickle alluded to this on Monday. They've got to put a little bit more on Braylon Allen's shoulders um, and have him perhaps do more on the ground. What he showed in the second half gave you a kind of an inkling of what he's capable of in terms of the physicality that he can run with, but maybe more manageable throws for Braden too. And I think this goes hand in hand. If you're not in, if you're not in consistently third and seven, you'll be in better position to succeed on some shorter throws as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, if anything, uh, changes. I, I I do think certainly the read option aspect of this offense is so huge that you you, you have to at least, you know, if you're Braden, at least pull a couple of them. Right? You can't you can't give them to them every single time. You have to be this can't be a, a Graham Mertz and um, you know stationary quarterback type of thing. You have to pull it. You have to be able to uh, at least threaten them a little bit on the, on the edges with the legs to to keep them honest. Right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Keep them honest. It's not as the strong suit of his game, but he's not a complete statue back then. No. We've seen we've seen enough practices to know that he can do some of those things. And um, if you, I know that Lucas said that maybe you tailor some things to the strengths of uh, of Braden's skill set, but there are also certain elements of this offense that kind of have to be universal too. What's your favorite Lan- uh, Braden Lock story? Do you have one? Oh. Well, I know goes, actually I know what it is, but I, I <laughs> wanted to I wanted to let you let you tell it anyways. It goes back to the first conversation I had with Braden's dad after Braden committed to Wisconsin. So this was back in January when he came on his visit up here and Wisconsin already had a couple quarterbacks who who they were coming out of the portal. But um and I know you know this story, but he and his family were in the meeting room with Phil Longo and they were supposed to go 
till about 3.30. And he and Longo were so engrossed in talking about the concepts of the air raid that they went, they blew past 3.30. It was like 4.45. And they were in there so long that the family nearly missed the bus ride over to dinner. They had to get to the hotel and change and get ready. And they almost missed that. And then after dinner, they go back to the hotel where the family is staying and Phil, Phil is over there. And it's a there's a, an NFL game on because his, his dad was relaying what this experience was like. It's about 8 p.m. And they're sitting there in the hotel lobby till about 11 at night, drawing up plays on napkins. And to me, that said everything about why Braden Locke even came here in the first place. Yes, he's played in an air raid system his entire life in high school. He did it at Mississippi State under Mike Leach. But the faith and trust that he had in Phil Longo, who recruited him to North Carolina way back when, that was a big reason why he came. And I also think it speaks to how much of a student of the game Braden is. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Total football guy. That obviously begs the question, what did uh, Phil Longo have to say about Braden as he gets ready for his first start? <laughs> well, I know on the last show I mentioned that uh, we haven't had an opportunity to talk to any assistant coach or coordinator at this stage. It's, it's something that has transpired this in year one under Luke Fickle, not something that I'm used to at Wisconsin. Usually we at least got the coordinators weekly. That hasn't been the case. I requested to talk to Longo. The answer, at least for this week, is no. I can understand why perhaps they wouldn't want to have Phil talk right now in a kind of trying time of the season after a loss to Iowa, but my hope would be that we'll have an opportunity to speak to him at some point. I will say, though, that it does create some challenges when you, the listener, and the readers and the fans would like some answers about what's taking place offensively. I'd certainly like to give them to you, but we're asking questions of of the head coach who obviously doesn't spend as much time around the offensive players as Phil Longo does. And so it's hard to, to get you those answers, if that makes sense. I think it's really difficult and, and and maybe a little unfair to to keep on sending the kids out to answer all these questions about the offense instead of the guy who's, you know, overseeing it. But it is what it is as uh, we sit here getting ready for game number seven for Wisconsin as they, they head to Illinois. And it is a game against a team that, embarrassed them last year at yes. home it was the end of the Paul Christ era uh the the story of them going in at halftime and saying we're going to draw you need to draw a line in the sand and in the second half they came out and got the doors blown off of them even more so T- listening to some of those guys talk whether it was Jake Cheney or Braylon Allen this feels a little bit personal uh now I caution anyone to take that too seriously because there were a lot of things that were said prior to going out to Washington state. And we all know how that worked out mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, but I do think that this certainly, certainly is on their mind in, in what happened last year, whether they're talking about it or not, you know, behind closed doors that you could tell at least in, in the few guys that I listened to that it's still there for them. You use two words that I think stand out the most embarrassing and personal multiple players used embarrassing and, don't think there's anyone around here who would disagree given that performance in, and I said before, it kind of looked like the Badgers quit in the second half against Illinois and ended up losing that thing 34 to 10 and doing nothing offensively in that second half. And Jake Cheney was the one who used the word. It felt a little bit personal. And uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's a certain Illinois player or a certain Illinois coach that they feel a type of way about what he means by that is that loss completely changed the trajectory of not only the season, but the future of the program. Cause the next day Paul Christ was fired and certainly the way things were trending, if it hadn't happened, then it might've happened at a, another point in the season, 
But these players had to endure a whole hell of a lot last season, Zach. You and I saw it up close, even with the a few days later after Paul was let go when they made some of the leaders available. They had to answer a lot of difficult questions, and there were a lot of challenging emotions that they were going through knowing that their performance contributed to their head coach no longer being there. And so I think when they say that this is personal, that's what they mean by that. On the other hand, it doesn't matter what happened last season. Um, and that's something that Chimre DK told me on Tuesday as well. I mean, we can talk about that game all we want, but what matters right now is this season. It's certainly a, a completely different team um, in terms of what Wisconsin has, other than there were guys who were in that game last year, but what they're running and what they're being asked to do are different. So there's a lot of emotions surrounding this game. Um, but I think it starts with Wisconsin is reeling from a really disappointing loss against Iowa. The last thing the Badgers want to do is go to Illinois, a team that maybe is starting to find itself. It's a, it's a question mark, but they did go down to Maryland and win a game that I didn't think the Illini were going to win. Uh, and Wisconsin has that home game looming in prime time the next Saturday against Ohio state. So the Badgers desperately need to put together a really strong performance this week, in my opinion. Are you trying to say this is a trap game? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it's a trap. I don't. I mean, we talked about based, this before. <laughs> well, based on what we saw against Iowa, uh, yeah, I know. feels it was like there's more toss-ups than there's more yeah. toss-ups on the schedule than you would have <laughs> liked to believe. I think going into the year. Yeah, no, it was a joke. Uh, so toss-ups. Do you envision Wisconsin getting make it a bowl game? Yeah, I, I Consi- oh my considering well, no, considering what they are dealing with right now, I still think there's enough talent think- for them to be able to. I mean, what we're talking about is they're four and two right now. They'd have to go two and four. Um, yes, I, I believe that they would make a bowl. I, I think they have the talent. Um, and what we're talking about is a lot of teams that at worst would feel like toss ups, yeah. I- Again, I'm not saying they are or they're not. I just was wondering what your thought was when you say there's a lot of toss-ups. Well, t- a lot of toss-ups can, toss-ups can go either way, right? Yeah, they can, yep, they can go your way, they can go against you. So it, it is not as maybe as big of a guarantee as before, especially when you're playing with your backup quarterback, who has yet to obviously – I mean, we saw a little bit of him on Saturday, and that was a little bit of an unfair first impression just because of the defense that he was facing and the situation he was facing. We'll know a lot more about brain lock come Saturday when he faces an Illinois defense that has not been very good. Uh, maybe outside of its, its front is is struggling or has been struggling, but yeah, toss-ups kind of throw out the idea that maybe they're not going to win uh, all those that maybe we thought that they were going to either way. The, the idea that this is personal, I don't think is just with the players. I mean, some of the things that, in this off season that we heard from whether it was Brett Bielma talking about how, you know, when this offense doesn't work or if it doesn't work, you're going to run into some issues. And I think we're kind of seeing that right now. Yes. He was talking, right. I, what did he say? He said, you're going to run into some land or that's where some landmines can happen. Yeah. And I think some landmines have uh, gone off here of late. So he wasn't incorrect in saying that, but he, I, I think that touched some, touched some nerves. The other thing, the flipping of players, the recruiting of players, the dancing by uh, the not even the dancing, but just the picture of Aaron Henry and Antonio Finellis when they flipped the cornerback. What was his name? The cornerback from Florida that they flipped. Vernon Vernon Woodward, right? He yeah, so he came Vernon on Woodward. he came on an official. I think the first weekend he came on an official to Wisconsin, but ended up taking another visit to Illinois and flipped and picked picked the Illini. 
Yeah, and there was and there was a tweet from Aaron Henry, former D, Wisconsin DB and former Wisconsin DB Antonio Finellis dancing around, and it was about get used to it. So there, I think that there is a little bit of uh, a little bit more acrimony than maybe there has been in the past between between staffs. I think there was a healthy respect, you know, with Paul Christ and Brett Bielma that certainly had evolved from uh, uh, Paul Christ's time serving under Brett Bielma in uh, the late two thousands, but. This is more than just what happened last year. I think this is uh, two programs that are fighting for a lot of the same kids and uh, recruiting a lot of the same territories and going to go up against each other in a lot of the same situations. So I think this is more than just that. I don't know if you would agree or not. I feel like at this point, yes. I almost wonder if it's more so from the Illinois perspective because this whole staff uh, at Wisconsin, they're new. They haven't been a part of this, whereas – it's it's almost like Madison, uh, would you call it South South Southeast? Uh, because Bielma and the staffers that he's brought with him, they have much more of a familiarity with Wisconsin. And the other piece to this, and it is minor, I suppose, and more of an interesting storyline for us. But that Jim Leonard is helping out in some capacity defensively. Obviously, he's not a full time assistant; he's only down there a few days a week. But we know the history that he has here. How much. The players here adored him, and now he's, at least behind the scenes, putting together some type of game plan to try and help Illinois beat Wisconsin. It's just uh, a new wrinkle, even if it's only for this year. What kind of value, if at any, if anything, do you think he has this week? <laughs> uh, a ton of value. Now, his, his official title is Senior Football Analyst, which I know I can't tell you exactly what all the responsibilities mean, but I would ask you... Who knows Wisconsin, its tendencies, its defense, its personnel outside of the current staff, I suppose, better than Jim Leonard. Nobody. Well, that's, so. But that's the thing. Like, the, the obviously, the they're not running the same offense. They're kind of running similar aspects on defense, but they've changed certain things. I think the only value – I mean, Jim Leonard's a really smart guy, so I don't think he – really needs to know the schemes and all that, all that good stuff to, to stop it. But I think the value that he holds is in the personnel. Yes. And he knows what, the players and what their strengths yeah. and weaknesses are. Absolutely. Especially on defense. And, you know, there's so many new faces on offense, whether it's, you know, Braden Locke or the wide receivers or, you know, some of the offense linemen, the tight ends, like there's, there's so many new faces on that side of the ball that maybe he doesn't have as much uh, personal knowledge of, that group but defensively all the guys that are being playing such huge roles whether it's Carter Hallman or Jake Cheney or Hunter Wohler or James Thompson Jr. assuming he is able to play obviously that was a big loss for them last week but there are so many guys that he knows that are playing huge roles from that defense that I think that's where maybe the value is in his knowledge as opposed to maybe scheme wise yes if we just look at Wisconsin's depth chart for this week. And I realize that that is not always necessarily the end all be all 10 of the 11 players who are listed as starters defensively are guys who played for Jim Leonard and vast majority of them guys he recruited since high school. So nobody knows the personnel better than Leonard. Now, will that make a difference once you step onto the field? I don't know, but just having somebody in your ear as an Illinois coaching staff with that much knowledge is tremendously valuable i don't want to put too much on this game but i i kind of feel like it's it's maybe a fork in the road for this year you lose this game and things are not looking good you lose this game things can go south very quickly you win this game 
obviously you play Ohio State next week, but you you have five wins. You're sitting there probably five and three after Ohio State, and you still have a chance to have a successful you know, finish to the season, even if you're not going to win the West, which I know, again, I think both of us, well, I'll put myself up here. It's a failure if they don't win the West. And at this point, I don't think they're going to, but is this for you in your mind or is that, am I putting too much on this? I feel like it's a fork of the road for uh, where the season can go. You know, I don't think you're putting too much on this. Even before the season began, what was the stretch that we both pinpointed and said this was this is the one that is going to determine whether the year is a success now at the time i thought illinois was going to be a little bit better but as it turns out iowa despite having a terrible offense is six and one and ohio state right now is undefeated going into a big time game against penn state so this is still the most important stretch and particularly coming off a loss to iowa and knowing what you have to face against ohio state which while the buckeyes may not be the at least appear to be based on how they performed the juggernaut that we've seen in terms of previous Ohio state teams. They are still a measuring stick, if not the measuring stick for Wisconsin, because the Badgers haven't beaten the Buckeyes since 2010, despite being close. So yes, I think this is a critical game for the Badgers because if you lose, you're facing the prospect of a three game losing streak. And also if you lose against an Illinois team that hasn't been particularly good for a long stretch this season, it opens the door even further to questioning, well, who will this team be down the stretch? I know Nebraska Northwestern haven't been great. You've got those road games against Indiana and the last one against Minnesota, which we know the Gophers have played very well against the Badgers of late. I absolutely think this is, as you put it, a fork in the road type of game that can change what's, I don't know if the trajectory of the season, because the Iowa one is the one that probably does that, but you feel a whole lot better about the potential for this team if they can win this game and, go into Ohio state with at least some momentum. What about long-term? Because there are some within the fan base that have already turned on Luke fickle. <laughs> they've, they've turned on this after six games. They've turned on, you know, at the beginning of the season it was turning on Mike Trussell. And now it's turning on Phil Longo. How, I mean, is this an important game for their long-term health of uh, the program and the direction it's going that to me, like season wise, it makes sense. Long-term. I don't, I don't necessarily think it does. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Luke Fickle went four and eight in his first year at Cincinnati. I know it's different situations, different teams and all that. But you asked, you talked about this in our show last time and asked Luke about this, whether the expectations that were placed on this program were maybe it's been more challenging internally to meet those expectations. And I think the disappointment here is that we're all realizing it's going to take longer than what people hoped or wanted. This is still a team that wasn't very good last season. And as we're seeing, Lucas kind of addressed, they are running a scheme and trying to fit the personnel to that scheme. I've heard questions about, well, wanting to perhaps blame the staff in some way for implementing a scheme and just sticking to that scheme and not catering to the strengths of the players. But I also feel like, I mean, if you're going to bring in a new staff and a new system, you implement that system. And then it takes time for players to perform in that kind of system. Like you, you don't come in and go halfway. Uh, maybe there are other aspects to an offense that, that you would run because you have players used to something else, but I don't have a problem with what they're attempting to do right now. I think the, the, the challenge that fans are, are experiencing is that we're seeing it's taking a heck of a lot longer, but to, to answer your question specifically about this Illinois game, I don't think it's altering the long-term trajectory of, of Luke Fickle here. What it's showing is it's just taking longer than people wanted. 
Has anything that's happened this year affected or impacted your thoughts on where this thing is going long-term? Well, I expected more immediate results. And in retrospect, maybe that was unfair. On the other hand, the types of people they were bringing in and the success they had had in terms of Tanner Mordecai and Bryson Green and the potential CJ Williams had um, made you believe it was possible. Um, I don't, I, I suppose my biggest question long-term is how long does it take for Phil Longo and this offense to replicate some of the things they did on a consistent basis everywhere else he was? whether that's Sam Houston, Ole Miss, North Carolina. Um, I don't want to say, well, if it doesn't happen this year, why would it happen next year? Because you had Tanner Mordecai this year. Um, But I think that's my biggest long-term question is, is this an offense that can play to that level here? And how long would it take for the staff to get the personnel they believe are capable of, of doing that consistently? How important, based on what happened at North Carolina, the quarterbacks that he had on there, is it that he just doesn't have that guy? He doesn't have an NFL guy running the offense right now. And I think that's a valuable point here, too, is we were talking about quarterbacks like Sam Howell and Drake May or Heisman Trophy contenders or NFL-type quarterbacks. And I don't want to sit here and be an excuse maker is the other thing because – you got Tanner Mordecai who put up crazy numbers in two years at SMU, but on the other hand, he wasn't an NFL guy. And that's the very reason he came back. As he said in the spring, he wasn't particularly thrilled with what the pro personnel evaluator said about his NFL potential. And so he, he came back and for whatever reason, at least statistically, it was not anywhere near the level of what those UNC quarterbacks did. And so that has to be a big part of this. When you've got a quarterback like a howl or a may it changes everything um but i i don't know it, it, it's a fascinating time in this program because i'm spending all this time talking about the offense maybe because it's most glaring relative to what we thought I mean, they at just the same six, time they just put up six points didn't score a touchdown for the first time in how long yes three years since the 2020 game against indiana but defensively they haven't been great either as that, that's the point that i was going to make is um you know, you it's you can't say they're better defensively either. They've gone from and well, they weren't last year, but over the last handful of years, they've been an elite level defense to now. I feel like they're kind of above average. Um, so there there are changes on both sides of the ball is the point I'm making that are just taking way longer than I think people anticipated. What do you have more confidence in the defense getting back to being status or the offense reaching the heights that everyone thought it could could be for this season? Long to this. Well, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen this season. I I think we, I think they kind of are who they are at this point this season, long term. Well, it's defensively in my mind. Um, they haven't been terrible. They just, again, they haven't been, but they played well enough, certainly played well enough against Iowa. That, that defense deserved more. Um, they had one awful play, and there's no other way around. You can't give up an 82 yard touchdown run where half the defense is missing a tackle, but stuff like that one play is is going to happen at times outside of that one play i thought they did an excellent job they held the quarterback to 6 of 14 for 37 passing yards so while it hasn't been for the first 6 games i know you love that word uh i i have more confidence in the defense being able to play at a higher level the offense it's just more of a mystery i think um because it's such a drastic change because maybe the personnel hasn't lined up with everything they want to do and 
I don't know. I it's it's interesting to me because of what like this team has prided itself on having that power running game of what you knew what to expect in certain situations. And that was great for a long time. And we saw the last few years that that wasn't all that great because teams knew what to expect, but in making these changes, I think they're still trying to find the identity of, of what this offense is. And I mean, there's numerous plays from that Iowa game that I, I look at and think, you know, these are the types of things that they're changing and, and is it, how long is it going to take to get there? And I think I referenced this on the last show, but that third and two play in the third quarter where Braden locks in the game, they go empty backfield, five wide receivers. They have three slot receivers on the field, third and two in what other world would you have seen Wisconsin do something like that? It ended up being incomplete and they punted. And so it's something like that, that, that makes me think about the long-term future and and how long is it going to take to run a system like that where you'll have consistent success here? I take a reverse view of that. I look at the fourth and one play and going four tight ends under center. That's not who you are anymore. Yeah. Stop, uh, stop absolutely. trying to stop, stop trying to be that stop. If you're going to be a spread team, be a spread team. Don't put, don't put a guy under center. That's been under center. What? Maybe seven or eight times isn't well, that's maybe a little bit hyperbole, but like he's never under center and you're asking him to be under center, take a snap. They probably practice that play like three or four times the entire uh, year. And you're going to do that. I, be who you are. And that's, I'm not saying five wide receivers. That's, on third and two, I think you have at least to have to have the anticipation that you could run the ball in that situation, at least give the defense that idea, especially when it's Braden Locke back there. He's not like, he's likely unlikely to go and run it, but yeah, putting the four tight ends on the field, going under center, you know, and putting Braylon in the backfield by himself. I, it's not who you are anymore. Stop trying, stop trying to be that. It's, it's not like you're not that. That's what I wrote about off the game. I'm glad you bring that up because I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last show. Um, I might have. So apologies if you're listening and you heard me say this already, but they had gone under center without kneeling down uh, twice this year. They had, uh, so they had six plays, I think, where they went under center. Four of those were either end of half or end of game kneel downs, which means they only ran two plays all year under center and we saw what happened earlier in that drive they had a third and one they went under center riley mullman had a false start it turned into a third and six so absolutely i think that's a play that highlights where this offense is trying to figure out what it is and that is not what this offense is now and so it's understandable why it didn't work yeah it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out the rest of the year i know they kind of have a built-in excuse now i don't think fans are going to give them that excuse now i mean you don't have your starting quarterback you don't have your six-year quarterback we'll see how Braden lock fits in i'm uh interested to see that i i know that we both think he had a very good fall camp and spring like he, he was clearly the number two there was he was never challenged i don't know what your expectations for him are and i don't like have your expectations for the offense how how drastically have they changed now that he is the guy likely for the rest of the year. They've changed. No, they've changed in my mind in large part, because we're still talking about a guy who has no experience other than what he just had against Iowa. And he can be great in practice. I think he had really strong moments. There were probably some practices where he was better than Tanner Mordecai, particularly in the spring. I think now some of that has to do with he's going with the twos running against the twos. Some of those guys aren't even with the program anymore, but he couldn't get hit. They were wearing black jerseys for a reason. And so when the, the, the bullets are flying and it's live, it's a little bit different. Um, but I don't think what their approach is going to be will be substantially different because they are there to throw the ball. And 
one thing I was thinking about that I, I found interesting that Luke Fickle said, I asked him, I mentioned that they threw the ball 50 times against Iowa and asked whether there was what kind of balance he was looking for and whether it would change knowing you had an inexperienced quarterback. And I thought it was interesting that he talked about, they don't look at necessarily how many plays are being run in terms of run pass it's yardage. So I just thought that was an interesting way to look at things. You know, if you get 250 running, 250 passing, and it means you got to run the ball 15 times more than you pass or vice versa, that's kind of what they're looking for. Because I looked at it and thought, why is Braden Locke throwing 30 times? And I probably still look at it that way. I know eight of them came on the last drive when they're down two plus possessions, but I think they're still going to attack in the same way. I just, it's hard to say you would expect the same types of results with a guy who's making his first start compared to a guy with 30 starts. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you talk about the, you know, trying to be balanced. And I looked at it before this, this previous Iowa game or this, the, you know, this previous game and Wisconsin was one of just two teams in the big 10 that had amassed at least a thousand yards rushing and passing going into that game. And among power five teams that had played five games, only four other teams had done it. So they have had balance throughout this, this year in terms of, you know, having success on the ground and having success enough, okay success through the air. Probably thought it was going to be a little bit better than it has been, but they they did they were yardage wise relatively balanced. And I know that you looked at the, you know, run pass ratio it was like fifty three forty seven or something like that leading into this one. Yeah, wasn't it? I mean, it's been pretty close, which yeah. speaks, speaks a lot to the balance that Longo wants, but. Ah, I don't know, man. Uh, know it's, it's, tough. A, it's a real, it's it's a real crossroads moment, I think, for this season, and uh, and it just looks more and more like it's just not going to come anywhere close to anything that we talked about. Yeah, that's, but that's, I feel like that's probably uh, par for the course. And that's just that's the case. I mean, you you make this grand declaration that a guy's going to be the starting quarterback at some point in his uh, time at a at a school, and he transfers a few months later. So, and then ends up. 2-0 as a Big Ten quarterback. His name is Deacon <laughs> Hill. You you did not name him when you were talking about uh, what he did against Wisconsin last week. He was fantastic. So uh, I just want to get that out there. 2-0 quarterback, Deacon Hill. Fantastic. All right. We'll be we'll be uh, at, like I said before, Monks in Sun Prairie Thursday night for Temple and Heilprint. We'll talk more about the Illinois game, preview it a little bit more, and then uh, make our picks as well. Uh, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.